Salutations everyone and welcome back to the third episode of The Artist Insider. This is the show that shines a spotlight on local artists of any sort and gives them a chance to share their own story. Real quick, before we get into the main attraction, I just want to take a minute and tell everyone listening thank you so much. The show has been exceeding all of my expectations and I've been thrilled with the bits of feedback you guys have given so far. Feel free to leave a comment or DM me with any other things you'd like to see happen on the show. And without further ado, let's get into it. I'm happy to welcome local San Marcos up-and-coming talent extraordinaire and dear friend of mine, Stevie Stevenson, to the show. Why, hello. She, <laughs> she's a great person. So um, Stevie is here today to give us some inside information on the back alley of music of the music industry, share some wonderful stories covering her perspective of the world, and discuss her own music. Well, to start things off, tell everyone who Stevie Stevenson is. Who are you? What's your story? Hi, I am a general creative person. Uh, I am a artist, a lyricist. I also paint and I model on the side. Like I do a lot of things. Don't forget live streaming. I also live stream. That is definitely also, a big part of it. Also, she has done placement writing as well as a whole array of other things that we would dive in within the episode. So have there been any impactful moments from when you were growing up that you feel had a big effect on your perspective of things now? Oh, dear Lord. Um, Yeah, you could say that. So essentially, I was raised to be an athlete. My parents put me into sports growing up really, really early, and I didn't really feel like I was able to live my own life. I was really kind of living the life that I was told that I was supposed to lead. And not to like my my parents detriment at all, like they did the great and they did uh, what they thought was best for me. But as a kid, you take what your parents say, like at face value, really. And there was like this one time that my mom, I was in a boat, we were like on a lake. My mom was driving and she was joking around and was like, well, we need a doctor, a lawyer or a vet in the family. And I at that point, I was like five and was just like, all right. If I am anything but a doctor, a lawyer, or a vet, I am a disappointment to my family. And I've told my mom that story like later on in my life, and she's been like, that was a joke. And I was like, well, I was five, and I trusted you. And so that was just kind of something that really sat with me. And whenever I was 17 and I eventually came to the decision that I didn't want to do the sports anymore, and I wanted to pursue music, I definitely told my mom that story. And she was like, you could have just told me, like, we would have supported you. And eventually, whenever I did actually start pursuing music, uh, she said it was a phase, probably, and that I was going to move on from it. So I had to pay for my own piano lessons and vocal lessons for myself. And uh, eventually, whenever she decided that I was actually serious about it, she started helping me with all of that. And so did my dad, obviously. But um, but I was mainly communicating with my mom about the whole situation. <laughs> but yeah, no. Um, and since then, my parents have been really, really supportive of me as an artist. And it's been uh, it's been a interesting ride uh, as far as my relationship with my parents goes. But we're in a really good place now. And uh, they're dope. Yeah, growth is key. But like just the beginning of that, how they told you that when you were five, your little kid brain really does not understand like the sarcasm, the joking and all that stuff at that point. Like whatever you're told is just very, very straightforward and in the world because you've been in the world for five years and your brain's still developing. So that can be detrimental and it just puts this all on you and you don't you don't know how to escape from it because you don't really know how to talk about those things at that point. Your parents are your authority figures. And at that point, you're just like, these people know everything. And then you get to be like an adult and you're like, Wait a second, no one knows anything and everyone's just happily guessing. 
Dude, exactly. Okay, so whenever, before I turned 18, like what I pictured is whenever you turn 18, you receive this key in the mail or something along those lines that you just entered into air, into life per se, and you turn it and it unlocks all these great mysteries. But in reality, you never get that. That never happens. Everybody's confused at all times. And at some point you just learn that you have to keep going with the flow no matter what's happening. And it becomes easier from there. Absolutely. There's this book that I read recently. It's called The Denial of Death. And in it, it talks about how the modern neurotic, basically, and how creative people deal with the modern neurosis that we've kind of developed from this like interconnected world we've created is by like chewing up the nonsense of the world and then like spitting it back out and trying to make sense of it. So you don't actually have to fully take on all of that responsibility. You're just trying your best to like make it work. And that's like one of my favorite ways to look at being an artist. Yeah, that's all you really can do at any given point is just do your best mm -hmm. to make it work. Yeah, I have, a, I have a song that I call Ethos and it's all about who says that anyway, like who, who told you that these are the way things are and like definitely just say like hey things don't really matter if you put them into perspective at the end of the day like it's all it's all nonsense and and you should definitely be who you are and do what you want to do within you know moral ethical boundaries <laughs> yeah you definitely want to keep the moral eth ethical boundaries because you know things a little get a little bit edgy whenever you break away from those but yeah that <laughs> That's for a whole entire different number conversation. Just be a good person. Follow your bliss. Do your stuff. It'll work I out. I like that. Follow your bliss. I actually had a friend tell me that one time, and I've said it so many times since then, and I thank them. Honestly, real quick, shout out Ellen. Thank you for telling me follow your bliss. I followed my bliss, and now I'm here. Uh, so absolutely. beautiful hum human being, and I appreciate that. Okay, so moving on, Stevie. I know you did an internship with Universal Music Group at one point. I did. And, and you were working at a studio associated with Atlantic Records. And that was while you were placement writing, I believe. Uh, that is true. But my uh, my internship was with Universal Music Enterprises under Universal Music Group. And they dealt with classics and legends um, as far as... So I got to work with like really, really cool big names that probably your parents are like people that are into like classic music, like classic rock music and all that stuff like jazz and whatnot. They would be like, whoa, there's no way like you got to meet those people or whatever. And that was like a really, really cool experience for me. I, uh, I got to broaden my musical horizons very, very deeply during that time frame. And I'm real quick. She's being humble. But one of the people that she met while there is Ringo Starr. So just let that resonate. I got you know, to go one to of the Beatles, birthday party. He still met Ringo Starr. <laughs> so that's cool. He's a, he's, a, he's a very, very nice gentleman who throws up a peace sign every now and then. Uh, sarcasm intended. It's all the time. This, this is only pose. That's the one. Um, but... Yeah, no, that was a that was a really really cool experience. I uh, I got to go there actually after my uh, my internship ended. I was called back because they liked me and they were like, "Would you like to come to Ringo Starr's birthday party?" And I was like, "Are you are you are you lying? Is this is this a joke?" And uh, they were not. They were not. And I uh, I got to re meet Jeff Ross there, and he roasted me for a second time. Which I was, uh, that was a, that was a, a baby bomb of a, I was roasted by Jeff Ross at South by Southwest at some point in time. And then, so the second roast took place at yes. Ringo Starr's birthday party. Yeah, you can find that roast on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the atmosphere like while working at Universal Music Group? Like, what did you really do there? Um, so basically, I was the, uh, the intern for the PR uh, division at UME. And so I was um, editing press releases and I was sitting in on a bunch of meetings. There would be like phone calls with major artists that I'd get to sit on with and 
it was a uh, it was just a really really cool cool uh, experience and like I got to go to like, a Bob Seger concert. I got to work with this band called the Jacks uh, very closely and they're they're really really good at what they do. They uh, originally started out being like rock and roll isn't dead and now they're kind of branching out more into like alt rock and like pop music but it's good. So um, they were actually performing at Ringo Starr's birthday party. And so I got to meet them and like we got to be friends and I kept seeing them all around LA and like random places too, just like separate from work, completely and totally random. And it was just like Los Angeles is just such a small world, whatever community or niche that you're in, in that in Los Angeles, you just run into people all the time. It's like the best place for networking, but it's also a really toxic environment. And um, just really chaotic by the sounds of it with all those people and all this stuff going on. Yeah. You but I just feel like that. in general. If you keep running into those people and you just keep seeing them come around, at some point they're going to be a part of your life in some bigger way than they are at the moment. And it's just the world. Like, don't forget about these people. They're going to show up again later. I've I've got a lot of a lot of favors that I can call in whenever I need to or whenever I feel like I'm ready that I'm just sitting on. You saying that makes me think of you being like this little secret agent and just having this like side phone, like your second phone, just ready. You can speed dial any one of these numbers. I got two. <laughs> I don't have two phones. Just like calling in a favor, like, hey, I need you. And they just show up on a private airplane, drop yep. off, yep. do whatever you need, fly away, boom, mm-hmm. bam, bop. So the placement writing was mainly more so at Atlantic Records, right? It or? was It was not at Atlantic Records. It was, I would get these uh, print sheets from Atlantic Records. So I met these two artists named uh, King and Prince Riley at a Universal event, like a music release. And I ended up like hitting it off with them and they were like, we're about to go to the studio. You're a singer songwriter. Do you want to come in? and do some placement writing and I was like what's placement writing and basically for those of you that don't know placement writing is where uh, other artists do not have like the time to write their own songs and they will if they're signed to a label send out a sheet that says uh, the artist name like the vibe they're going for or sometimes have like a link to like an instrumental that they want you to write to or something of the sort and that sheet is like absolutely top secret because a lot of the times whenever you're doing placement writing it's either a buyout completely or there it's basically like the the term ghostwriter that people hear a lot where you just you're not credited for it but you get paid and it's that's nice but you don't get any kind of residuals they just buy you out of that and then there's when you get like an actual placement where you are the writer and that is absolutely like that's what you want that would be like the best case scenario for writing for these people but it's cool because you would get a bunch of diverse genre groups of music so it didn't really matter what niche art you were into as far as music goes it was like you were trying your best to just kind of be a jack of all trades of music and I wasn't writing like rap R&B or absolute pop music um, whenever I started doing that and then I got into session recording for these placement writing sessions meaning as a uh, singer I would be called in to go to these studios and I would get paid to sing as closely to those artists that they that they were writing for as possible so for example bb rexa was one of them that like i would just have to sit there like practicing repeating trying my best to sound exactly like bb rexa or somebody else but i tried i try not to like mention the the specific names of like who i was doing because it kind of a secret thing you're not really supposed to talk about so once again she has the second phone she's the secret agent absolutely kind of really low-key but that's also really cool because like humble lady (laughs) 
you, you have to stay humble. But that's also really cool at the same time because like you're doing all of these things and working with all these different types of music and having to go in all these different types of modes and flows and genres. Yeah. And I feel like that really teaches you a lot about mm-hmm. the type of music that you want to create and then also helps with like expanding your horizons and making you very diverse and your range of talents. A thousand percent. And I feel like it has made it way easier to implement different sounds and different ideas into my own writing. But it was very much so like as soon as I started getting into it, like throwing me into the deep end, the absolute like depths of the ocean, because it was like, all right, so now we're going to be in the studio for like five days straight, no sleep. Just like you'll come in at like 10 a.m. on a Monday and you'll leave on like Thursday at 6 p.m. And you're like, I don't know what day it is. And I have definitely lost my mind a little bit during that time frame. So it was really exhausting and I ended up getting out of it and just focusing on myself as an artist after after I met some some humans who were wanting to work with me on my own music. But that ended up going nowhere. So, uh, so now I'm I'm back in uh, back in Texas because pandemic. And yeah, and that's fine. I mean, everybody has their own time frame. Everybody has their own things, and you can't let one little loss get you down because you've learned a shit ton from that. Absolutely. Yep. And uh, it pretty much what I learned from that whole experience was just that um, I'm never going to be happy, or at least I don't think I'm going to be happy if I don't have like a personal say in my own production. And what I took away from that was that I needed to like actually spend some time with like my own personal growth and learning the craft itself and actually understand how to make the music sound like my sound and like build what my sound is. So it's it's kind of nice to be able to, as an artist, step back and be like, okay, I need to be better. <laughs> and that's okay. Like you don't have to to like once you start the journey just be like, "Well, now I'm here and I'm stuck." Like it's a it's cool to step back and just be like, "Okay, we're we're taking some time." So, how would you describe your sound? I don't even know if that's possible. That's probably really hard, but It is really hard. So, um try to do it in three words. Just three short, words. simple, very very broad with it. Deep, ambient, honest why those i feel like my best the best thing about my songs is actually the lyrical depth even my roommate says that she's like your lyrics are just like it's like poetry and like it's not as simple as a lot of songs can be and as far as lyrics go and i think there's something really special about that mainly because i actually started out writing a poetry on a, a secret poetry blog that I that I started when I was 15 and I was also the secret president of the poetry club the secret <laughs> life of Stevie Stevenson yeah no I was a uh, I was I was a little bit embarrassed about it because I was also in the Academy of Science and Health Professions and I had told myself that I was going to be like a doctor and I was just going to keep all these like really existential thoughts really to myself. And, I, you know, because I thought that that was really something that you were supposed to be doing is just like hiding, hiding it, like the, the fear and like the negative thoughts and or the positive thoughts that like come along with life. I didn't really feel like I got the chance to express those things in the proper way. And I was really 
finding an outlet for myself was a really, really important thing for me. And I found that through that poetry blog initially, I, I think there was like this, I used the word catharsis probably like 18 times on that poetry blog, but but there was like a weird catharsis about, about it and that it like really stuck with me. And I noted that people were looking at it. Like there was like a widget you could put on it and see where people were in the world looking at your poetry blog and people were seeing it like all over the world. And so real quick before you go on, what does cathartic mean before all the, for all the viewers? Because that is a big word. It means like a weird feeling of goodness. Yeah. Okay, cool. Continue. Yeah. Okay. I love when people do that. It's like my favorite thing ever because I know that a lot of people are not willing to ask that. I know we're on a podcast and it's different. But but the other day, one of my friends, I was telling her a story and I used the word satirical like a bunch of times and uh, about like fourth time I said it. This is like over the course of a day, not like just like a whole story where I said satirically like five times. But but she asked me what it she was like, hold on. I know this is embarrassing, but like, what does satirically mean? And I was like, <laughs> it means like as a joke and, uh, but like, don't feel bad about it. Like at all. It's uh, like, it's life's a learning experience. And if you're not comfortable enough to ask questions that you have, you know, you're never going to learn and you're just going to feel stupid and kind of get down on yourself whenever you're, you're like, oh, I'm not good enough or whatever. But like, no, yeah, 100%. If you're ever feeling like you can't ask questions, you either need to get around new people who allow you to feel like you can't ask questions or you need to get over yourself in that aspect and you have to work through that anxiety or whatever it is that may be making you feel like you can't ask questions because it is, it is always okay. A hundred percent. But yeah, so I saw that people were like seeing this poetry and they weren't necessarily people that were like actively interacting with it, but it just felt nice to be able to share it and somebody else see it and then like enjoy it. And that's around the same time that I got into the live streaming platform, you know, which um, it, it was like a place where I could go and like get live on on the interwebs and connect with random humans who the the people that follow you on that platform are called your fans and so i i gained like probably about like a thousand fans in like my first month or so in that and then i established like a really cool community of friends that i'm still friends with to this day that are all like aspiring and or just actual like artists i also hate the word aspiring artist because you either are or you aren't you know and it makes it sound so rough like you're like, like you're trying and you're going but like oh i'm an aspiring artist like it makes it sound like you really haven't done much it, but you're like exactly like you get, get some belief in yourself in some way shape or form but because you are an artist yeah exactly so i was uh i was streaming on you now and that was something i was doing like every night and my sister and my mom were getting like really annoyed because i was being really really loud till like uh till like three or four in the morning or so um just like singing to strangers um and at that point i was mainly just like putting on karaoke tracks on like YouTube and just like singing to them. I didn't really know how to play guitar. I didn't know how to play piano. Um, I was just like taking song requests and talking to strange humans who liked my voice and and establishing really solid relationships with, with people that define themselves as my fans. And that was like a really cool experience. And finally around, like I said, the time I was 17, um, I was in a really, really dark place uh, mentally 
So is this all still going on at the same time? Like you're, or you're the president of the poetry yep. club and then on the, on the soccer team and like still living this entirely secret life. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. That, that is what was happening. But yeah. So, um, so I, when I was 17, I was in like a, a, a pretty dark place and, um, that was around the time I was starting to question all of the things like the, is, like, is my life a lie? Am I living for me or am I living for other people? And a friend of mine saw that I was really, really down and she came over shout out claire uh she came over brought me chick-fil-a and then put on a pandora station and the song money right by john bellion came on and there's a line in it that eighth grade i feel depressed as blank because my heart is in the future and i know where i belong it just takes time and that line was just like it was like gospel to me. I was just like, you're right. I am depressed as blank. And I think it will get better with time. And if I want to pursue music, because that's the thing that makes me happy when I'm doing it, gosh darn it, that's what I'm going to do. So at that point, I, I became a, a big major fan of a, a man named John Bellion. And that in and of itself is like a whole other story. Get into it. Uh, So... So I started um, supporting him, like I said, when I was 17. I went to one of his concerts um, around, I think that same year, I, I, like while I was still in high school. Or actually, I think it was the summer before I went to Texas State. And uh, I went with my sister. I like we were just like standing in the in the front. And like at the end of the show, like I got on somebody's shoulders and was visible. And it was a really, really cool experience. And then I went to a different one of his shows in Austin and I did a meet and greet. Like I, I paid for the VIP thing and uh, he saw me and was like, were you at the show in Houston? And I was like, I was. He was like, great to meet you. And I like absolutely fangirled or whatever. And after I like did my meet and greet with him, I ended up talking with one of the tour people, like people that were on tour. His name is Walter White, uh, but he goes by Sosa. And he wanted to get food after the show was over and they don't have cars on tour. They just have the bus. And he was like, well, what's open right now? I was like, Whataburger's open. So we went to Whataburger and I told him to get a honey butter chicken biscuit and he got one. He loved it, was obsessed with it. And then I took him back to the bus and in exchange for, for my kindness, he uh, he gave me like a, or he went on the bus um, and had John sign like a bunch of stuff for me. So I have a bunch of that stuff. And that really solidified my like friendship with this human. And he gave me free VIP passes to a different show in Austin, like the follow in 20, I think it was 2017. And uh, <laughs> during that time frame, so we went and we got lunch before it, it was at a barbecue place. Like the venue was a barbecue place. And uh, when we so went- So you went and got lunch before you went to the show the following yes. time? Yes, okay. the following time. So, we went so, that, so this is after he gave you the VIP yes. tickets yeah, and when yeah, you're yeah. going to that show? Yep, and I was just like, cool, I got VIP. I don't really have to wait in the line. I'm just gonna go, I'm gonna go get lunch with uh, with Sosa. And so uh, he, and I, he and I went to go get lunch and uh, one of the other performers, his name is B.Keys, but at the time he went by Black Keys with like a Z and his name's Haki. He's a nice man. Uh, he Lovely. was just he was just sitting alone in a booth with a giant pile of sweet potato fries. And I like looked at him and I was like, are you? I know you. Are you Black Keys? And he was like, well, that's not my name. But yeah. And I was just like, hi, I'm Stevie. Nice to meet you. And uh, I was like, are you 
sitting alone and he was like yeah is it weird that i'm sitting in the booth and i was like i mean you look lonely and uh, he was like can i sit with y'all and so we ended up having lunch together and it turns out my tummy does not like to mix with meat products very much i'm vegan now um but i uh i got food poisoning from that and then so throughout the i was at the the front of the barricades when the show started and uh like dead center and around the time John came on, I was absolutely like dying. Like I knew I was gonna have to throw up soon. I was getting kind of like dizzy, not good. And the song that was playing was called Maybe I Don't Know. And he was like approaching the chorus and I was like, you know, maybe I don't know if I'm not going to be able to keep this down anymore. And I, I was processing whether or not I should vomit like around people or if I should like abandon ship and try to get out. But it was difficult because I was at the very front. So I don't think I could have gotten out uh, in time. And so uh, the the security guard at the time, he looked like a bald eagle. Just did not look with his, with his face or like with his neck. Like he like turned his whole body and like his very, very aggressive eyeballs looked at me and were like, do you need up? And then he picked me up over the railings with his pinky finger. And as that happened, John stopped the entire concert and was like, is she okay? Is she good? And uh, and my roommate actually caught that on video, like from the back of the concert. It was funny because she didn't know that I was there and I didn't know she was there. We didn't talk about it, but she was like, I'm, I'm here. And there's this girl that like interrupted my favorite song. And I was just like, that was me. I'm that girl. But that's, yeah, that's so, gotta be such a weird realization. Absolutely. Yeah. There were like 5,000 people that were <laughs> there. And sometimes when I tell this story, there'll be somebody that was there and they'll be like, that was you? And I was like, yeah, yeah, that was me. I'm the one who ruined uh, the concert. No big deal. Yeah, yeah. But anyways, so he uh, he stopped the concert and then uh, asked if I was okay. And I threw up a rock on sign because I definitely could not say anything. I was just like in cradled in the arms of this this big man. His name's Rob. But he, so uh, after I threw up the rock on sign, I like sprinted backstage and threw up everywhere and then ran to the bathroom, cleaned myself up. And the paramedics came out and were like, all right, you got to go home. And I was like, I'm fine. I'm really fine. And I was like, dang, I don't want to leave. And then Hakim comes out of nowhere and was like, no, she's good. She's with us. Just don't don't worry about it. And uh, so I, I got to stick around for the rest of the show and they wanted a tour guide for Austin. So I, I rallied really hard <laughs> and I uh, I took them to, to 6th Street. And that was that was like a really, really it, the whole experience was just an absolute roller coaster. And like the whole time I was just being like, play it cool. Be cool. Don't don't fangirl. You're not a fan. You're a friend. <laughs> and because uh, no, like it's weird to be like absolutely hanging out with people that like you think absolutely idolize you. No, yeah, one hundred percent. So I'm gonna put a pause on the story for one second. Ask you a question. So so many people, whenever they meet artists and they're in these situations, like a big name or something like that, they have no idea how to talk. They have, they completely freeze. They or they overspill everything and just confess their love for the person. What do you do in that situation in order to establish genuine connection with these people? Because they're just simply people too. Yeah, um, honestly, I just treat them as if I'm meeting a stranger. I try my best to absolutely just throw out all of the information that I know about them out the window and let them tell me the story because because people like to, to explain their stories in their way. And to be fair, whatever information you might know about them could be skewed in the public view. You yeah, know? It's all tabloid stuff for the, for the most part. Yeah. And so being able to hear it straight from the source is always the best way of information. Exactly. And you're more likely to establish those relationships with people if you treat them like people and not as if they're like some 
god or celebrity or yeah like idol somebody you worship because in a sense that's like treating them as an object you're yeah, setting aside their feelings somebody and not knowing them so mm -hmm. drum roll please <laughs> wait that was awful drum roll oh wait, yeah better um rainy street sixth street go yes Rainy Street, Sixth Street. Oh, but yeah. So, so then after we went out on uh, Sixth Street, the next day the concert in Houston got canceled because of Harvey, because it was during that year. And um, even more chaos. Yeah, more chaos. Just, just full of the chaos. And so they ended up staying in Austin for another day. And so then they were like, "Hey, do you want to go out again? Like, do you have any other places?" And I was like, "We can go to Rainy Street." So we went to Rainy Street, and I was honestly twenty at the time. Um, and so I was using my like my older sister's. And it said I was like 28 or something like that. And it was absolutely awful, but it got me got me places. So that was nice. Yeah, don't 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 do bad decisions, kids. But it was a it was a really great experience. And we got I like I said, established some really good friendships. And then the next day, they canceled the show in Albuquerque because John got bronchitis. And I had a tickle in my throat and realized I had John Bellion's bronchitis. At least you got his bronchitis and he didn't get your bronchitis. Yeah, exactly. I got, I think he had it established before I actually got the, like, realized this. Like, if he was at a point where he was like, I have to cancel this show, he definitely had to have had it before me. The, the amount that, or the reason that I'm breaking this down is because I have definitely processed that multiple times where I'm like, did I do that? I don't think I did that. Did no. I make John Bellion cancel the show due to bronchitis? <laughs> like, no, man, please. Man, I made him stop in the middle of his show, and then I ruined, like, another one of his shows with bronchitis. I'm no. just, you're just slowly tearing this man apart. Yeah, but he got... John he, Bellion, we love you. Yeah, we do. We do. Beautiful mind for life. But yeah, so uh, so that, that was a, a really weird, cool experience that I've had. I feel like... My my life feels like it's sometimes it feels like it's not mine. Like I'm talking about a stranger who's like had this crazy weird life. Once again, the secret life of Stevie Stevenson. Yeah, precisely. Precisely. But yeah, so continue. Just sometimes your life feels like you're looking at it objectively. Like it's not really yours. You're just looking at, the, at all of these crazy experiences. Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't really know exactly what to do with all of it, except for like make them into music or art or talk about it to random strangers on the internet. It, it, I feel like it makes it, I don't know. I feel like I have a little bit of imposter syndrome when it comes to these kinds of things. I feel like a lot of, a lot of artists struggle with that. I'm definitely one of them. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your um? So what's your take on overcoming imposter syndrome? Because I personally feel that myself, and I've heard some other people talk about it, and they just say you have to fake it till you make it completely, and you have to keep pushing and keep telling yourself that you can, even when you feel like you can't, because eventually you're going to realize that you can. Yeah, I feel like you answered your own question there a little bit. <laughs> okay, a <laughs> li little bit but, so, but that's my take no, on it, but, but I want to hear head, your personal. I'm just, absolutely, like, I definitely feel like that that helps thousand percent. But I think, yeah, just doing doing the thing that that is uh, is really, that speaks to you. Doing the thing that speaks to you and doing it shamelessly because shame serves no purpose in, uh, in the artistic world. Absolutely. So speaking of music in the artistic realm, do you have anything to fall back on in case music doesn't work? Or are you just going to simply keep pushing until you fall, like, face? first into the field of your dreams of this musical realm i'm full sending it uh so so i have uh my like air quotes fallback would be uh my my major is public relations with a minor in music and the reason that i've majored in public relations is so that i can utilize it toward my music career so no no there's no there's no fallback plan like i could do something with it but i honestly 
I just want to utilize it for my music career. And I feel like saying and like giving yourself a consolation prize of being like, I can do this thing on the side of whatever my music thing is. That's not exactly like you're not going 100 percent and you're not going to be able to focus all of your attention on your passion and the thing that makes you happiest. I would say like in the meantime, like, you know, you have to do whatever you have to do to sustain yourself in in a financial way. But. I, my friend has always told me like, or I would be perfectly content with living in like a cardboard box with me and my cat. Like, I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen. It is very unlikely that that'll happen, but I am aware of the fact that I'm not going to be living lavish up in here while I'm uh, doing my, my artistic endeavors where, uh, we're just, we're making things work. Yeah, completely. Like why have something to fall back on when you can pursue the thing that makes you happy? Because at the end of the day, even if you are living in a cardboard box, but you're still making music, that's what makes you happy. Hey, some of the people that live in cardboard boxes are the happiest people I've ever seen in my life. Some of the people I've met on the street living in cardboard boxes, not necessarily a cardboard box per se, but they have the brightest smile at all points. And you can have such a genuine conversation with them and they will tell you so many things that I've learned a lot from that. And Mm -hmm. it's really impactful. Correct. So aside from that, what are some things you like to do outside of music? Who is Stevie at her core? Well, okay, honestly, to answer my own question again, probably music is your core because that's what you love and make you happy. But what are some other things you like to do? I, like I've mentioned before, I like painting in my free time. I have a lot of plants. I like plants a lot. They have, I have a bunch of babies all over my apartment. I also grew up water skiing and that, that was a, that was a really big part of my life as a kid. And it's a, a really fun, but also intense thing that is just kind of sitting in my back pocket. I forget that I can do it sometimes, but whenever I uh, go back home or actually I was on the Texas state water ski team and I won the uh what was it division two women's overall national champion that's that was my title division two women's overall national champion in uh collegiate water skiing that is a big thing so not only are you doing music and doing great at all of the songs that i've heard so far beautiful voice by the way but you can also water ski and do that greatly on a national level so that's pretty cool yeah 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 yeah. it's one of those it was a it was an absolute surprise when i won because it was a like it's something that i'm i'm pretty good at but i also like don't actively (laughs) improve on it like it's not something that I do every day but it was just such a very very ingrained part of my childhood that it's kind of like riding a bike for me and that feels like a flex just like 100% (laughs) muscle memory at this point because you've been doing it for so long so just like whenever you start it just snaps yeah 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 yeah. I also am like a I'm a very very outdoorsy person if ever I need the space to uh to like think or like be creative in my brain on its own time instead of just in front of a laptop or in front of a keyboard or on a guitar or whatever. I'll, I'll go on like a hike and, you know, find my own space. So why do you make music? Do you like the artistic side of the creation or is it more about seeing people express an emotion and interact with something that you've created? I would say it's uh, it's really cool to be able to see people react to the emotions that I'm creating per se. I don't know if I'm yeah, like I, I guess you would say I'm curating those emotions, but I make music, like I said, to pretty much chew up the the uh, the nonsense of the world and spit it back out on a metaphorical canvas. It's for me. Like I make music for me and it's therapy for me. So whenever I'm like capable of combining something sonically that resonates with words that are communicatable and understandable on a level that's beyond me 
is something that is just, you can't explain it in words. It feels like a religious or a spiritual experience of sorts when you're just like, whoa, I'm not alone in this. Like people also feel this way. What? It's a, it's a really beautiful experience to be a part of. So how do you get to that point to where you're creating something that's so beautiful? Do you, do you think it's by tapping into the quote unquote flow state or is it more of working at something to the point you're just incredibly confident and comfortable in your work? I think it's a combination of both being capable of letting go of that ego that sits in the forefront of your brain where you're like, are people going to judge me for these thoughts that I have? Or is this something that people would be embarrassed of me? Once you let go of those feelings and you're just sitting with the fact that everybody is just thrown into existence, we're coping with that whole process of just not knowing why we're here, not knowing what we're doing, and the whole ethos of it all, and just saying, like, no one says it matters anyway, and just just do the thing, because it makes you happy. Completely, yeah, just, just do whatever you can to make you happy. Okay, but aside from that, what is your own creative process? How do you break into that flow state we're just talking about, personally? I call this um, the phrase of, like, getting into a flow state noodling. So I'll just sit down and I will I will noodle with a piano or a guitar until some kind of melody or riff really speaks to me. And then with melody writing, as far as like lyrics go and whatnot, getting into that flow state where you're capable of dropping that ego that I was mentioning before, it really is just being okay with mumbling nonsense until your brain kind of puts, uh, puts some links together. And I could sit at a piano or like with my guitar for probably like eight hours on end and just, just be doing the thing. And that's kind of not necessarily like once it breaks beyond a certain amount of time, it just is a little bit like you can get stuck in it, kind of like in Soul, how they talk about how you're really not supposed to be in the flow state for such a long time. Yeah, like that. It's a, it, it could be a little bit detrimental because after such a long time of doing that noodling, if you don't actually strike gold, there's that. The ego creeps back in and is like, why haven't you found something? And, and then you just feel like a noodle, like your yeah. brain and body just yep. feels flimsy and you're just and like... And then Whoa. you're just a little wet noodle doing nothing. Okay, so... We're about to run out of time. And for the final question, if you could give any up and coming artist, any anyone who's trying to do the thing, anyone who's trying to create music or talent of art of any sort, if you could give them any piece of advice that you've learned across your endeavors and travels, what would it be? It's just do the thing. You said it yourself, do the thing. Because if you don't, like if you let all of your insecurities and um, your fears dictate whether or not you should be doing the thing that makes you happiest, you're not going to be happy. <laughs> And I think that's a really sad thing when people aren't capable of, of tapping into that artistic side out of fear or, um, you know, yeah, out of fear of judgment. So, yeah, do the thing and do it shamelessly. OK, so mm. for my final part, my favorite part of having a musical artist on the show, I love to have them sing. So, Stevie, do you have any song unreleased, released, any of the above? Um, you talked about ethos earlier. I've listened to your song Nuclear before. It could be either one of those. It could be anything that you want. But is there anything that you could sing live on the show right now? I could sing to be happy. Sing to be happy. That, okay. the, that's the whole motto of the show. Do All what makes right. you happy. It's not what it sounds like. <laughs> well, I'm still happy to hear it nonetheless. Yeah, I, uh, every time I introduce this song, whenever I sing it to people, I'm always like, I really hope you don't resonate with this, but it, you might. You very, very well might. And uh, if you do, take what you take what you want and, and leave what you don't want. But give me a moment. I need silence. Sweet perfume is wasted in a dark room, finding friends in silhouettes, getting lost inside my head. 
There's beginnings in the end. Find a fear that will forget. Everybody dies two times. Two times. Am I stuck in the wrong places? Am I seeing the wrong faces? Am I wasting my life? Cause I promise to be patient. But what do I have to do to be happy? To be happy. What do I have to do oh, to be happy? To be happy. <laughs> that is so good. <laughs> the vocals on that, your your soul, it is speaking to me, and that is beautiful. I I <laughs> I love hearing live music, and especially when it's from a friend and a beautiful minded oneself. Thank you, thank you. And that's not even just hype for the show. That really is a beautiful song, and I hope you keep pushing your creation and keep following your bliss and following your happiness. And if you wind up in a cardboard box, I'll be sitting there beside you eating a baguette. <laughs> Absolutely. So Red Stevie, boys for life. <laughs> so Stevie Stevenson, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, is there anything you want to say before we roll out? Stay beautiful. You heard it here first. Stay beautiful. Stay clean. Stay cool. Hey, I mean, <laughs> cleanliness is an option. Absolutely. Stay <laughs> stay clean within the mind. Yeah, 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 yeah. Clean of negative thoughts. Okay, well, that is my final token of advice for this evening. And... Thank you for listening to The Artist Insider. And before we go, make sure to check us out on Instagram at The Artist Insider for behind-the-scenes interviews, regular updates, and early information over the next episode. Also, be sure to follow Stevie Stevenson on all social platforms at... Stevie.Steves. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, that's all for now, and good night to the globe. Bye! Thank you.